will be with the Lord in heaven. So this morning I want to spend a few minutes and we're going to talk about being homesick for heaven. Are you homesick for heaven? I mean, you go through the things you go through, you struggle with the things you struggle with, you go through the funerals, you go through the pains, you go through the, as one uh, person called me this week and said, I got really bad news. Folks, this happens constantly. Got bad news from the doctor. Need surgery immediately. And we go through these tough times and these harsh times and sometimes we feel as if the world's going to collapse right on top of us and it's like, how are we going to endure? And this morning I want to tell you there's a way to endure. There's a way to get through the tough times and the hard times and the times of suffering if we keep our focus where God's asked us to put it. One thing I can say, and for those watching on the internet, what we do here at Union Grove Baptist Church is the real deal. It's not a facade. It's not a one-hour-a-week commitment. Folks, this is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle for most of you in this room this morning as well. This is who we are. This is what we eat, drink, breathe, is knowing Christ, having a strong relationship with him. Yes, outside influences come in, tough times come in, hardships come in, struggles come in. But as we focus on the things that God has asked us to focus on, we can get through this. Are you homesick for heaven? Have you ever been homesick? Uh, you have several folks, that uh, young folks, that went to camp recently, and on occasion you'll get a call. Some of you in this room have gotten those calls. And your young person is off at camp, and uh, uh, they're enjoying it for a time, and all of a sudden they realize something. Where's mom? Where's dad? Where's my other siblings? Where's my friends? And uh, they're at camp having a great time. You think life would be great, but all of a sudden they start to dwell on what they're missing. The familiarity isn't there. The family isn't there. And all of a sudden, they begin to panic, and they get upset, and they get seriously, I mean seriously, homesick. The counselor will come into the cabin or the tent and say, what's wrong? Is They're sobbing on their pillow uncontrollably. And the counselor comes up, what's wrong? I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. And uh, they're like, okay, well, um, and, and maybe they can get them calmed down. Maybe they can't. And they're like, well, how about if we, how about if we call your mom and dad? Yeah, look, can I do that? Sure. And they go and they call mom and dad, and they're thinking, I don't want to go to camp to get that kid. And uh, the kid's saying, I want you to come get me. <clears throat> so mom and dad do everything they can to persuade that young person. It's like, listen, it'll be okay. And they try and talk them off the cliff, so to speak, and uh, hopefully they can stay. But sometimes they don't, and they end up having to come because that child is so homesick. Think about those in the military, those maybe on the mission field, that have gone off, and they've left family, friends, sometimes spouses and children, and they go into the difficult situations they're in, and all of a sudden the uh, Thoughts come back about, man, I, I can remember when I was sitting with my wife or sitting with my husband or sitting with my kids, sitting with mom and dad, and now all of a sudden I'm, I'm here. 
I'm in the jungle. I'm wearing a uniform. I'm seeing things I wish I would have never seen, and they get homesick. Well, folks, are you homesick for heaven? Do you ever long to see people who have passed into eternity? This room's full of people like that, and I'm one of them. Moms, dads, spouses, unfortunately even children. And they passed on before us, and it's like, if I could just have five minutes with them. And you get homesick. Does your body ever fail you? And you groan waiting for that glorified body. When Richard came up here, I don't know if all of you picked up on it, but he says it's kind of a weird, uh, interesting, funny, I can't remember the word he used, that he was reading that passage about a beat-up body, and he raised his thumb, of which he chopped the top off about a week ago. His body's a little beat up. And your bodies are beat up. The older we get, the more beat up they get. And God is reminding us, are you indeed looking forward to heaven? Are you homesick to be with Jesus and to be with those that have gone on before you that have placed their faith and trust in Christ? Well, this morning we're going to examine God's current comfort and challenge to look forward to the absolute guarantee of a glorified eternal body. You have the outline in your bulletins. Uh, It should be a separate handout. And uh, we're going to go through this passage this morning. By the way, uh, uh, when we get down to verse 11, uh, it's going to be, you're going to see things that probably haven't seen before. I was vividly reminded by one of my good friends who attends here last week that getting the exact context of a passage correctly is important. And it's going to be extremely important today as we look at some of the pronouns and what they refer to and who they refer to. And when, again, uh, four key things when we're interpreting Scripture, we need to look at the historical background, contextually what's taking place. Today, the grammatical piece is actually going to be important when we get to verse 11. And then, of course, always interpreting Scripture from the literal standpoint uh, with, uh, of course, the, the symbolism that's in parables and apocalyptic writings within prophecy. But we take God's word literally. So let's see what we have here this morning. The Bible says, For we know that if our earthly house, this human body, this tent is destroyed, we, we get concerned about it. We, we're, we're worried about what's going to happen if I get sick. What's going to happen uh, uh, if I'm facing death and some of you in this room are at that point today and it's hard and it's like we're we're facing this what's going to happen when my earthly tent is gone away and why why is God using that terminology well first of all when we look at the apostle Paul outside of being one of the greatest missionaries and preachers of all time what was his if you will job what did he do to make money He's a tent maker. So Paul's using (coughs) this language to talk about something that is symbolic of, that's looking at a tent. Now, the Jewish people, of course, back during this time, were very familiar with the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle hadn't existed for uh, some 1,000 years, but they knew about the history out of the Old Testament. When you look at the tabernacle, which, which the Jewish people had with them from about 1445 B.C. until 
about 960 B.C., uh, when the temple was built, they went through the wilderness, if you will, with the tabernacle. The tabernacle simply meaning a tent. Another Jewish word that's used for it is sukkah, uh, which our, our Orthodox Jewish friends still build today. And uh, so they were very familiar with the tent. Well, what happens? He's talking about this earthly tent, this body which one day is going to, if you will, disappear. So he says, for we know that if our earthly house, this human body, this tent is destroyed. And we're going to see in just a moment as we go to the next piece that he's going to talk about something that's a bit more permanent. So they went from the tabernacle when the Jewish people were traveling through Israel, and then finally in 960 B.C., Solomon, David's son, built the first temple. Now, I'm not sure it would be as ornate as the one you see there. That's more of a second temple era. But uh, a, a temple, a, a solid place, a place that's not, uh, uh, if you will, going to go away like a tent would. And he's like, we have this tent, this earthly body, this body that's subject to corruption and subject to horrible things and is not going to last forever. And it gets sick and we get painful. And God says, listen, this tent is going to be destroyed. It's going away. Now, in your minds, you're saying, well, wait a minute. That's, I don't know if I like that. I don't like the thought that my tent, this body, this, it's going to be destroyed someday. And here's the reason why we don't like that. How many of you have been to heaven and back? All right? How many of you have uh, uh, tried on your glorified body for the future? Uh, uh, nobody. And we look at these things, and even though we're groaning and we moan and we go through the hard things of life, and, and this tent we know is one day going to pass, even as God's people, many of you get very concerned about that, uh, that concept. It's like, yeah, I love the concept of going to heaven, but I'm not sure what happens, how I get there, and what's going to happen. And it becomes very difficult for many of us to process. But God in this passage is trying to give us a little bit of a help. He's trying to help us understand that when this tent is destroyed, when this body goes away, there's something a whole lot better. And it's going to be more like this, if you will, the temple, which the Jewish people would have understood. So we looked at the mortality of the physical body. How about the immortality or basically the body that will never cease, which is our spiritual body? And the Bible says in verse 2, for in this we groan. Now, and this is a, a, the best way I can describe this. There's a couple of times that I've heard serious groaning. Every single time when I go to a, over the years, have gone to the nursing home, and many times to the hospitals, you'll hear people groaning in their rooms. It's not a pleasant sound. And they're groaning and they're moaning because they're in pain and things aren't going well. And, and, and the sounds are horrible. And, and God is saying, listen, as, as we're stuck in these earthly bodies and our inner self and sometimes the outer self, we're groaning, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. He's saying at times we're, we're just, we're consumed by it and, and it's, it's just horrible and we're groaning inside and it's like, Lord, please help me, help me. 
and you'll hear people in the hospitals and other places and they're they're calling out help me help me they're they're, they're in distress they're they're suffering and god says yes in this old tent we're going to suffer sometimes we're going to groan sometimes it's going to be tough sometimes but he says wait a minute get your focus right try to get your focus right instead of getting myopic and getting centered on what's down here on this earth he says, according to Colossians 3.23, or Colossians 3.1, uh, set your mind on things above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. Listen, when we get myopic and we get pulled into the troubles and the cares of this world, you're not going to have a good day. You're not. And you go to bed at night, and it's like the, the pressures and the hardships that you've gone through during the day, and they keep playing in your mind, and you can't sleep. And you're disturbed. And God says, listen, yes, we groan, but we earnestly desire what? To be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now he's going to explain this, verse 4. For we who are in this tent, he repeats it again, we're groaning, we're burdened, not because we want to be unclothed. What's he saying? It's like, you know, we, we really don't want to get rid of this tent. We really don't want to be found, if you will, uh, uh, without an a, a earthly body. He says, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. Further clothed. What does he mean here? That mortality, this deathly, sickly, horrible body that we have, might be swallowed up by what? Life. 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 Folks, it's so easy to get caught up in negativity. It's so easy to get caught up in, I can't make it, I can't handle it, I can't go another step. Some of you are uh, uh, long-distance runners. I remember a paratrooper who uh, talked about when he was going through boot camp, and they'd go on five, ten-mile hikes, just, I mean, just beat the fire out of them to try and get them prepared for the day that they may go to battle and have to do long, long hikes and runs. And this old paratrooper got up, and he was a preacher, and he said, man, he says, when I was, when I was in the military, when I was a paratrooper, and he's like, we had a 10-mile run. He's like, we had the big giant backpack on and carrying our, our rifles, and we're, we're just running, and all of a sudden it just in the heat and the weight just became overwhelming and you want to quit and you want to stop and you want to get out of uh, uh, the, the commitment that you've given to the military and he's like I can't do that I got to keep going I got to keep going I can't quit and as uh, every single time every single step he would say one more step one more step one more step. I can't quit. I can't give up. I can't turn back. I've got to take one more step. And they kept going and they kept going. And yes, a few would pass out. They couldn't take it anymore. They'd fall on the ground. The other guys would come around because nobody got left behind and they'd pick them up and get them going again. And everybody uh, as a group would take one more step as they went towards 
the finish line. And he says, listen, Christian, listen, those of you that are going through tough times and hard times, and it's just a day-by-day struggle, and it's like, look, look ahead. Just keep looking. Just don't get myopic about looking right here. Look to that finish line. Get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Get your eyes fixed on heaven and just take one more step. You see, if we stop and we look right here, we're done. You're done. You'll give up. You've got to focus on the future. You've got to focus on heaven. You have to focus on being with the Lord, and it will give you tremendous boost. The guarantee for God's people, the preparation for eternity. Now he, or God, who has prepared us for this very thing is God. You say, well, wait a minute, how's God preparing me? What's, what's God done? I, I mean, I've got to be honest, Pastor. I've been struggling with this. I, I'm going through tough times. I got family issues. I got marriage issues. I got work issues. I got school issues. And, and, and things are tough. And, and it's just overwhelming. And God says, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. Take a breath. Take a breath. Because God's preparing you for this. You say, well, how's that? How, how does he do that? Well, let's go to the next part. He says, now he or God who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us what? The Spirit. Now, that's a capital S there, folks. That's referring to whom? The Holy Spirit of God. And we go through this a lot, and it's such an important doctrine of Scripture that every single one of you that's placed your faith and trust in Christ, who dwells within you? I mean, the Holy Spirit of God. And I like the, if we went back to the pictures, the first temple. Where did the glory of God, where was the glory of God in the Old Testament, specifically during the first temple time? Where did the glory stay, if you will, of God? In the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And the second temple, by the way, did the glory of God return to the second temple? No, it did not. Has the glory of God been basically like it was in in the first temple times up until the present? No. By the way, where is the temple today? It's you. And people talk about it, and I don't want to get too too off track here, but here's a very interesting thing, and I like to press this point. We are not under the Jewish prophetic calendar of Daniel 9, 24 to 27. We're not part of the Jewish calendar. God stopped the Jewish calendar, which he'll reinstate again, to do what? to form what's sitting right here, to form what's sitting in many churches across the country and the world right now, the church, the body of Christ. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church age, the age of grace, so to speak, was started. It stopped right between Daniel 9.26 and Daniel 27 of the Jewish calendar. And today, for the last 2,000 years, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Many people will say, well, uh, uh, when are the Jewish people going to get to build their temple again? Not till we're gone. You say, can you prove that? Yeah, Daniel 9, 26 and 27. The next time the third temple, or the, the next time, the time the third temple will be built is when the Antichrist comes on the scene and confirms a peace treaty with the Jewish people, Daniel 9, 27. That cannot happen till me and you are gone. Why? Because the church age in which we live interrupted the Jewish prophetic calendar. 
Now you say, I've never heard that before. I know because it's not taught very often. Uh, most churches around the country are afraid to teach it. They're afraid to go to these things. That's why at Union Grove Baptist Church, we teach the whole counsel of God, all 66 books, including not just the two-thirds of non-prophetic books, but the one-third of books. One-third of your Bible is Bible prophecy. And uh, it's so important to understand, but, but this is not a message on prophecy this morning. Oh, wait a second. Is heaven prophecy? If we stopped talking about prophecy, we'd have to stop talking about heaven. We'd have to stop talking about hell. We'd have to stop talking about all the major events that God outlined for us in the book of Revelation and other places throughout the Old Testament. Uh, yes, we do talk about prophecy, and it's necessary because it tells us things to come. Well, he says, listen, he says, uh, God's prepared you by doing what? He's given you the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee. Men's Warehouse, I, I, uh, I forget what his name is, but uh, the owner of it, every time he'd uh, come on and give his commercial, he'd talk about his suits, he'll be looking great. They're going to fit wonderfully. I guarantee it. Well, folks, God guarantees that you're going to have a home in heaven one day. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is there making sure that you're going to get there. Ephesians 4.30 reminds us, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Sealed, unbreakable sealed. God's got you. If you place your faith and trust in Christ, you realize you were a sinner. You realize that you don't deserve to go to heaven. You believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for your sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And at some point in time, you said yes to Jesus by faith. I accept that free gift of eternal life when I placed my faith and trust in him. And God says the moment that you did that, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you. And he is a seal on breakable seal. You say, I'm worried about I'm going to lose my salvation. I did something bad the other day. I wish I wouldn't have done it. I feel bad about it. I feel guilty about it. I'm not sure God can let me into heaven after I did this. And God says, I'm sealed you. You say, well, I took some drugs I shouldn't have taken. How'd you feel about that? I felt terrible. I knew I shouldn't have done it. You know why you felt terrible? Because the Holy Spirit was in there going to boom, to boom, to boom. Knock it off. He said, I, I went to work, and uh, I, man, I saw her, I saw him, and I'm married, and, and, I, and I flirted with him. I, I, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did. Did, did, did God take my salvation away uh, uh, because I did wrong? And God says, no, you know why you feel guilty? You know why, why your conscience is bothering you? Because the Holy Spirit's in there if you're trusted Christ, and ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I know I shouldn't have done it. And you go home and you bury your head in your pillow and you cry out to God, Lord, I know I shouldn't have done that. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. And God says, all right, don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Say, I got mad at my wife the other day or I got mad at my husband. or I, 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 I just, I can't even, I don't even want to tell you what I did. Pastor, how do you feel about that? Well, I feel terrible. Am I good? You should. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's in there saying, hey, knock it off. I drove by, some of you would say I drove by the liquor store uh, 
went by the bar and uh, I stopped. I know I shouldn't have stopped. I knew I shouldn't be involved in that kind of lifestyle. And, and, and I did wrong and I succumbed to it. I'm like, well, how do you feel about that? I feel terrible. Why do you feel terrible? Because the Holy Spirit of God is saying, listen, there's better things to do than get messed up on drugs and alcohol and, and, and illegitimate acts and so forth and uh, illicit acts. And, and there's a better way to live with your family than yelling and screaming and fighting all the time. And, and it's like, would you put Jesus Christ on? Take your Bibles, not on the screen. It's part of my new outreach to get you into your Bibles. Pick up your Bible, go to Colossians chapter 3. By the way, how are you coming on your biblical literacy? All right. All right. Praise the Lord. And, and I'm trying to get everybody. Boy, we got to get in that book. we got to get back to understanding what's in the book. We've gone through Galatians now two weeks ago. We went through Ephesians last week. This week, with you personally and with your family, four whopping chapters. That's it. Philippians. You can get through it. Even if you did a half a chapter a day, you'll get through it by the, or close to it by the end of the week. Philippians. Let's do Philippians this coming week. You'll see it on the internet through our internet announcements. And those of you that have block Union Grove Baptist Church, would you take that block off so you know what's going on here, please? Please? That's just a friendly ask. All right. Colossians chapter 3. Do not grieve. Christian, the Holy Spirit of God. Here we go, Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Christian, if you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then, all, then you also will appear with him in glory. Did you catch that? That's not a suggestion, that's a promise. Verse 5. Now here we go. How do we not grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Put your steel-toed shoes on. Now here we go. Verse 5. Therefore, put to death, get rid of, annihilate your members which are on the earth. Now he's going to hit us. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Here's the key. In which you yourselves say it. Once what? Once walked. Now, folks, if you're walking in these things today, that's a problem. God said these are things that would happen in the life of an unsaved person, and if you're performing any of these acts today, you're not in the right, right fellowship with God. So get rid of it. You once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are too. Now, he's saying to Christian, He's not talking to unsafe folks here. He's saying, listen, Christian, you once did those things, but how come some of you are doing them again? That's what he's saying. It's time to get rid of them. Put them off. Put them to death. But now you yourselves are too. Put off all these. What should we put off? Anger, secret sin. Wrath, secret sin. Malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Now, most folks aren't going to be swearing in church but it's a secret sin we do on the outside. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. What old man? The old sinful man. The old sinful nature should have been crucified with Christ. Put off the old man with his deeds and have what? Put on. Put on. Here's what you put on. Here's uh, uh, taking off the old clothes, so to speak. Take this old junk 
body, take these old junk things, throw them away. And now what I want you to do is get that nice new coat. And I want you to put these things on. And I want you to wear them. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And now he goes through. There's no division among us. There's neither uh, uh, Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So God's saying what? You're, you're sealed. Sealed securely to be or become designated and made secure as a sign of authentication or ownership. It's like when you go uh, get a house and it's paid off. What do you get? I mean, you get the deed uh, to the home. You buy a new car. What do you get? After it's paid off, you get a title. I mean, you own it. It's yours. 100%. And God says, Christian, ha, I got a deed for you. I got a title for you. I already paid for it. It's 100% done. You got a home in heaven. You got a home in heaven. You got a home in heaven. You got a place where you're going to go. And those of you that have loved ones that have gone on before you, and we're going to show up in heaven, they're going to be there. You say, am I going to recognize him? Did the disciples recognize Jesus after he received his glorified body? You betcha they did. Of course you'll recognize him. Of course we'll have a, have a hoot and hollering time. Woo! I haven't seen you, Mom. I haven't seen you, Dad, in, oh, wow, lots of years. Good to see you. Now, of course, our relationships will be a little bit different with our glorified bodies, but, boy, it's coming. And most of all, I, 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 you know the song, and I, I, I'm not even going to attempt to sing it. It's a great song, but I say amen. And uh, <laughs> it says, man, I can't wait to get to heaven, and I want to see Peter up there. I want to see Paul up there. I'm going to see mom up there. I'm going to see dad up there. And all of a sudden, uh, the tone of the song breaks, and you see like, but most of all, I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to see Jesus. And it's coming, folks. And it's something to look forward to. Not be afraid of, not be scared. If you're walking with God, by the way, and I've said this so many times, when I've gone into the hospital rooms or the hospice rooms, and, and uh, somebody, a dear Christian, is ready to, to die, I never hear him yell, never hear him scream. Never hear him cry out, I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. Every single time, and I mean every single time, God somehow does a miraculous thing within, within them, prepares them for that moment when they're going to breathe their last, and they go home with a smile on their face. And most of them, have I said, if their eyes are open, they'll look up. I don't know what they're looking at. But every, almost every single one, with their eyes are open, they kind of look up, gone. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the grandeur for God's people, the, con the confinement of this earthly body, so we are always confident. Know that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. I want you to get that. This is a serious theological statement, especially in today's culture. While we are in, at home in this old sin-sick body, are we going to walk down the street and run into Jesus? Literally. You're not. People uh, uh, will say, oh, I, I had an encounter with Jesus and I saw him here, I saw him there, he came to see me. The Bible makes it very clear. Folks, this is doctrine. This isn't something to trifle with. Your experience does not count. 
God's word is the only thing that counts. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, period. Now, I, I would love if Jesus came down. I'll, I'll be honest, I've prayed many times over the years I've been saved. I'm like, you know, can you break protocol? <laughs> come on, would you, would you, come on down and let's have a talk. I, I'd love to see you. I'll take you to dinner, <laughs> whatever it takes. You know what? He's never taken me up on the offer, nor will he, because God can't break his word. So we're always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We don't like that. I want to see Jesus the same as you. But what does God say? He says, listen, we don't, we don't walk by what we see. We walk by what? By faith. Folks, it's by faith. It's by faith. It's knowing who he is. It's knowing him from the word of God. Folks, that's why we've got to be biblically literate. If you don't read this word day by day by day by day, you're not going to know who he is. You're just not. And, and the more you read his word, the more you get into it, the more time you spend, and it's like, wow, that's in there. That's yeah, in there. It's in there. The secret sauce is in here. It's right here. Nowhere else. You can't get it anywhere else. Uh, so we walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, why? Because our citizenship is, not was, not will be, our citizenship today is where? It's in heaven. <laughs> I mean, you say, well, I live in Union Grove, or I live in Franklin, or I live in wherever. And God says, yeah, we're dwelling down here for a bit. We're on vacation down here, so to speak. That's not much of a vacation, but we're down here for a bit. But he's like, if you've trusted Christ, your citizenship, bam, it's in heaven. Uh, it's all documented. It's there waiting for you. Well, what else? The confidence for the spiritual body. We are confident, yes. Well pleased, rather, to what? Paul says, oh, man, I'm groaning inside. I'm suffering. I've been beat up. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beat half to death. I've been left stoned. And this old body, it, it cries out. And I long to leave this world to be absent from this body and to be present with the Lord. Boy, grab that verse. Every single person here, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we've talked about it time after time after time after time after time. Why? Is there, is there much of a better promise than that? Absent from this old tent. Absent from this old body. Like, whew, can't wait. Now, some of you are saying, I can wait. I'm in no hurry. <laughs> but there's so many in this room, you just can't wait. My mom, my dad, my dad was 92 years old when he passed away in 2019. For years, probably five, six years before he went on, why won't God let me die and take me home? And he wasn't saying that out of pity and uh, I just don't like life here. He was just like, I want to go see Jesus. I want to be with him. Um, my wife is in heaven. Well, my mom died some 20 years ago. My dad just died in 2019. I want to go home. I want to go home. And there's some folks in this room right now, you can't wait to get home, and folks will come into my office or they'll call me or we'll go out, and they're like, man, I just can't wait to go home. I want to go home. And God says, that's, that's right. That's what you should want. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from this old tent, this old body, this old mortal body, and to be present with the Lord, verse Nine. Therefore, Paul says, 
We make it our ambition. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be what? Well-pleasing or acceptable to him. Christian, this is a tough one. Do our testimonies matter? Do how we treat other people matter? Do how we live our lives at Union Grove Baptist Church matter? Is sin ever acceptable? And I heard somebody say the other day, and it broke my heart, they said, you know, there's too much sin in the camp. Too much sin. I'm like, I wanted to challenge the person about saying that, and it's like, oh, what kind of way do you say that? There's people that are mean. There's people that are, the relationships aren't good. There's people that won't forgive others. There's people that are doing things they should. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not here to cast dispersion on anyone, but it's like, okay, if that's what this person's seeing, is there any truth to it? And I said, boy, I, we need to examine ourselves. You know, every time we take communion, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and it's like before we take the cup, before we take the bread, we're to examine ourselves, make sure we're not doing things that are disrespectful or dishonoring to God. And it's like, do we talk about other people? Are we mean to some people? Do we do, we do things that are not proper? Are, are we spending more than three times a year in the Bible? Are we biblically literate? Are, are, are we telling other folks about Christ? Are we living for him? Are, are, are we raising our children the way we should in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Are we, I'm not talking about second-degree fundamentalism. I'm not talking about some hyper-separatist-type people. I'm talking about people that simply follow the precepts of God's Word, loving on people, helping other people, those that maybe you've got trouble with and they've done something to offend you, why don't you go make it right with them? Why? Division. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, there's six things God hates. Hates. Oh, wait a minute. He said not six, but seven. One of the huge things in that text is causing disunity among the brethren. You know what, folks? Is it surprising that Satan would do everything he can to try and cause disunity among people, among families, among folks that even were friends, among teenagers, among children, among adults, to cause division and you say things you shouldn't say and you do things you shouldn't say and someone's feelings get hurt and that stupid saying, sticks and stones may break my bones but names will never hurt me is a lie from the pit of hell. Because the thing that will destroy any group, the thing that will destroy any relationship, the thing that will destroy any church is a evil tongue within the midst. Now folks, you say, I... I what are you saying? What I'm saying is, man, if you've gotten caught up in that, get rid of it. If you got somebody you're not with, you go to them and say, listen, I, I hear people talk to me all the time, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, Matthew 18, and nobody will follow it. Well, pastor, you need to intervene on my behalf. No, I'm not going to intervene on your behalf until you followed step one. 
Go to the person, get right with them. If they won't get right with you, then you take somebody with you. If they don't come along, then it says take a bunch from the church and try and get it right. Let's do step one first. I got ought with my brother. Why? Did you go to him? No. Did you talk with him? No. Over and over and over again. And you know what? Satan's just up there going, he, 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 got him. I'm doing a great job. Folks, you say, well, why are you saying this? Because I don't want it here, and you don't either. Amen? Amen. I mean, listen, uh, uh, these are the things that can stop what's taking place here from moving forward. And we got to be on guard for it. We just got to. And, and, and it's so important. And I mean, I'm talking about from our youngest kids to our teenagers. You see, you seem to be stressing teenagers right now. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. It's tough. Well, so-and-so got mad at so-and-so, and therefore I have to defend so-and-so, and I can't. Why don't we just put off all that nonsense and start living for the Lord? And why don't we just start defending all people? And why don't we stop looking down at, at things on this earth and say, all right, I've made it my aim. I have made it my aim since I've been a kid. Since I was a teenager. I find the person that's getting picked on. The person that doesn't have any friends. The person that may not be, quote unquote, the pretty person may not be the popular person. And I will fight to the death for them. Because the pretty people, the financially well-off, those with status, they don't need a whole lot of defending because nobody's going to mess with them in our culture. How about taking up a reproach for those who don't have an advocate? How about taking up a reproach for those with special needs. How about taking up a reproach for those that aren't treated well by others? Well, you know, if I do that, then the popular ones won't, they won't like me anymore. So what? Amen to whoever said that. Listen, when we become like God's people and every single person becomes a soul for whom Christ died and those that are being picked on and bullied and, and given harsh treatment and we say, Stop! You say, well, who do you think you are? Well, who do you think you are? You see what I'm saying, folks? Uh, it's critical for any church. Uh, he says, therefore, we make it our ambition, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Let's keep sin out of the camp. What do you say? I mean, if you smell it, if you taste it, if you see it coming, check it. You can do that, but speak the truth in. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 uh, you say, boy, Brother Rich, I don't like when you go. I hate going here. I absolutely, I mean, if you ask me, it's like, what does pastor hate preaching on? I hate preaching on stuff like this where we look at sin and we got to deal with it. And it's like, I, I don't like it because I, I, I look forward. Folks, I'm not, a, I'm not telling you how old I am, but I've been around a while. I know I look great, but, uh, <laughs> but I've been around the blocks for a while. Law enforcement for 32 years. Christian service for some 45, 50 years. I mean, I've seen a lot. And I'm tired of dealing with sin. Are you tired of dealing with sin? I mean, I don't want to talk about sin anymore. I don't want to talk about all the temptations that I had 30 years ago. I mean, I'm done with that. 
That's over. But folks, there's people right now that you're suffering with the same problems I suffered with 30, 40 years ago. We got to fight it. We got to fight it with everything we have so that we're well pleasing and acceptable to Him. Verse 10. Bible says, oh boy, uh, almost out of time. For we must all appear before the judgment seat, the beam of seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now we touched on this, I think it was on a Sunday night a while ago, but we're in Corinth. Now let me take you to a couple of quick pictures here as we shut down. This in Corinth, I've been here, is a. Uh, uh, an old Bema seat. Now this is where, and I'm, uh, uh, it would look more like this back in the day. Not quite this big and elaborate as the one that was in Corinth, or Corinth was much smaller, but you had the, uh, uh, if you will, the ruler or the emperor who would be up on top of the platform, and the uh, uh, games would go on, and the Olympic games would go on, so to speak, back in the days. And, and the, the, the winner, the winner, not the loser, would come to the Bema seat, the reward seat. And they would receive their wreaths. So you would have uh, uh, the emperor up there, so to speak, and, and the, the head person. And they're watching the games. And now, can you imagine when uh, you come before the emperor, when you come before the ruler, and, and you won the race, you won the wrestling match, or you won the javelin toss, and you go up, and there he is. Wow. He, the ultimate authority, is going to reward me a crown, or is going to award me a wreath. And the Bible says we must all Christian, not un, this isn't about the unsaved, this is about me and you, if you place your faith and trust in Christ. Every single one of us will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, Paul says, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He must be the center of our lives, Christocentric. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, folks, I'm telling you, every single Christian here, you will be at this judgment seat. The rapture will take place during that seven-year period, sometimes during it. All God's people will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You're like, well, that's pretty scary. Well, let's see what he says is going to take place. Um, What's going to happen? Each one's work will de- become clear for the day will declare because it will be revealed by fire. All right? So you're up there. Your works are being put out on the table. And God is not there to punish you at the judgment seat of Christ. We'll see that in the next verse in a moment. Very quickly, and I know I've only got a couple minutes, I'm going to go through the five crowns that you can receive at the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. Number one, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4, 8. Those who love and look forward to Jesus appearing. How many of you are saying, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, I can't wait till you come. God says, I got a crown for you. Number two, the incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Those who brought their body into subjection, discipline their body, 
exercise self-control. That's why we went to Colossians 3. That's why we talked about some sin that can sneak inside of God's people. to get that incorruptible crown. Push that sin away. Exercise self-discipline. Number three, the crown of life, James 1.12. Those who have patiently endured trials, testing, and persecution. You look at the Apostle Paul's life, suffered day after day, going, uh, as he said, naked, going hungry, beat up, left for dead, uh, uh, endured testing, endured trials, endured persecutions. Next, the crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. Those who faithfully preach and teach the word of God, there's a crown waiting for you. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. Those who have come to Christ and receive eternal life. Folks, how many of you got at least one crown up there waiting for you? If you're a Christian, here's one. Y'all going to get this crown because this crown only goes to those who receive eternal life as the free gift of eternal life, and there's a crown of rejoicing waiting for you. Now, that makes a whole lot of sense. Praise the Lord. I can't wait to get there. And boy, when you get up to see Jesus, you think you're going to be sad? You think you're going to be heartbroken? You think you're going to long and groan to come back to this earth? Uh Uh-uh. You're going to be up there looking at Jesus and say, I got a crown of rejoicing. And Jesus is going to give you that crown. And we're going to rejoice and we're going to praise him. And then the Bible tells us in Revelation, we're going to get our crowns at the Bema seat. And then we're going to come before Jesus and say, thank you so much, Lord. We're going to take those crowns off and cast them right back to him in our uh, in adoration and love. If anyone, and here's the rest of the passage, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a what? A reward. We just looked at five of them. If anyone's work is burned, you're like, oh boy, here go. Now here comes trouble. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer what? Lost. But, thank God for the but. He himself will be what? Saved. In other words, listen, Christian, this isn't a a judgment about whether you're going to heaven or hell. This is about what Jesus is going to do when you stand before him. And we want to hear those words that every single Christian wants to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And all God's people said, I mean, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of praise. And and God says, yeah, you might lose some things because you messed up. But here you go. You're still saved. Yet so as through fire. That bad stuff got burned up, but those permanent crowns are there. Finally then, and here's we'll end with this, knowing therefore the terror, better translated fear of the Lord, we, now the pronouns here are extremely important to catch. We, and I'm going to fill it in. The old, I went through the, uh, 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 yes, well, a couple days ago, Second Corinthians chapter 1 all the way through 5, and I followed the subjects of every single passage up through here. The subject of the passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 1 is Paul and Timothy. The we never changes throughout the entire passage. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we, Paul and Timothy, persuade men. What is he saying here? He's saying, listen, like I, I feel compelled to preach the truth because of my fear for the Lord. Now you can look at this passage and easily misinterpret it. He's saying, knowing therefore the terror, the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. We want to serve him right. We want to be in a right relationship with him. But we, and here's where the pronouns are going to change, but we are well known to God, Paul and Timothy, and I, Paul, 
also trust our well-known pronoun changes to what? Your. Your or the Corinthians' conscience. So Paul is, it's basically, I mean, okay, good evangelist is going to grab this passage and run with it, but it's usually out of context. Well, it's not about, well, knowing that God's going to whoop the fire out of you, if you don't get right with God, the terror of the Lord's going to come down on you. It's not what this is saying. Paul, Paul is saying, listen, me and Timothy, we understand uh, the, the fear of God. We understand who God is. We understand who he is. And therefore, based on that, we persuade people. Why? To, to, to come to Christ, to, 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 to give their life, if you will, to him, to serve him as his people, and also trust we are well known in your conscience. Basically, he's doing a defense of the faith. Now, folks, we got to quit. Where do you stand with Jesus today? Where do you stand with him? Are, are the, uh, uh, we've looked at these things. Uh, uh, let me ask you these three things. Here's, here's what we basically should get from this passage. Number one, rejoice that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and heaven will be your home. And all God's people said, I mean, it's, it's heaven's your home. Stop focusing on this earth. Set your mind on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Strive, number two, to live well-pleasing to God. Put off that old sinful life. Knock it away. When people get critical, ask them to please kindly uh, uh, fermer la bouche in French. Hush up. Stop listening to it. Don't let them entertain it. When somebody's criticizing another person, ask them to please stop. You're not here to listen to criticism about yourself or anyone else. Uh, 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 be kind to all. Uh, 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 speak the truth in love. Strive to live well, pleasing to God. Number three, strive to accomplish God-honoring tasks in accordance with the five crowns. You saw them. They'll be on the Internet. You can pick it up again if you missed it. Uh, they're always out there on sermonaudio.com, our website, and all these others. Listen, strive to work for what God asks us to work for. If God says, I'm going to give you a crown for this, do you think he kind of likes that? you think he likes that? Of course he does. So let's strive for those things. Finally, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, I encourage you to do that this very moment. The Bible says, but God demonstrates. In other words, he freely showed us openly his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. If he died right now, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you go to heaven? This whole message was for, for believers in Christ. If you didn't, when you walked in here, if you didn't know if he died, you go to heaven, you just missed uh, an entire message that didn't apply to you. But I want it to apply to you. You say, well, how can it? Listen, if you died right now, where would you go? God gave us four things. I, re I went through them very quickly a few minutes ago. Number one, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Because we sinned, if we got what we deserve, every single one of us would spend eternity in an awful place called the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on a cross for your sins. Why would God come down and die? To pay for our sins. Because he loves you, and, and he did. And he came down, he died on the cross for our sins, and he asked you to do one thing, and you've got to do this one thing. Well, what's the one thing? The Bible says, by faith, by faith, by faith. Not by what you do, not by your works, but by faith receive the free gift of eternal life by placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you on that cross. He died for you because he loves you. Every head bow, please, Father. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the promise of heaven. Father, I pray for every single person here. Some are going through extremely difficult and tough times. They're hurting right now. And, oh, God, would you help us to focus on heaven? Would you help us to forsake that which is hurting our testimonies? Would you help us to love all people, all people, all people? Help us to do the right thing at all time. 
then, Father, if there's anyone here watching on the Internet, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Christ, how about doing it right now? How about receiving that free gift of eternal life? The Bible says, for by grace, God's free and merited gift. We don't deserve it. You've been saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. For by grace, God's free and merited are, are you saved through faith. That's the Bible, through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. Right there we are. Would you by faith receive that free gift of eternal life? It's by faith. There's nothing else you can do. Receive it. Take it. Embrace it. Right there we are. Did you do it? Did you trust in him by faith? Well, I'd like to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for you. The prayer is not what saves you. It simply confirms what you just did in your heart by faith. Maybe you'd like to silently say this along with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven, died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and three days rose from the dead. Oh, thank you for saving me and promising 